Alrighty, happy Friday, everyone. Guru and Wiz Fantasy Football Podcast. Uh, Wiz, the weekend is upon us, and uh, just looking at things, and uh, as we are heading into the last week of June and Fourth of July weekend next week, um, I just looked to see the dates. And July twenty-first, uh, the Cowboys and Steelers report. The twenty-fourth, the Buccaneers, and all twenty-nine teams will be in their camps on the twenty-seventh of July. So it is upon us. How are you today, Wiz? Yeah, doing well, and it is uh, it is uh, getting upon us, and uh, we want to we want to stay on top of things, and uh, we have a very interesting conversation and topic for today about auction drafts and strategies, and uh, I know you and I love auction drafts. It, it seems like maybe I don't know twenty five to thirty percent, maybe a quarter to one third of all drafts are auction drafts, which is a shame, and. Uh, you know, when I got to thinking about that, I, you know, I, a question comes to mind. And, um, you know, maybe you could give your opinion on what you think the answer is. Do you think the reason why um, 70% approximately of people do not do auction drafts is because they're aware of it and they just find it too lengthy or they think it's too complicated or they don't? know about them or aren't aware of them how would you break down the percentage of people that don't participate in auction drafts and you know in terms of what the reasoning is yeah so i, I think it's split for, for for i think it's split pretty evenly a couple uh, with a couple of different uh reasons so i think logistics uh do play a part in it in trying to get people together there's a lot of leagues that i know that um involve people from other parts of the country uh, where people are scattered around and not in the, exactly in the same area. So getting people to convene in one location is kind of difficult. Now, I, I would say a caveat to that is we, we do know and we've done them. And obviously last year with COVID, it, it made it more necessary to do so. But you can do auctions online. Uh, the the systems, uh, CBS, ESPN, Yahoo give you the ability to actually do that. So, so, that's, so there are people that, are, you know, I think the – the convenience factor is part of it. I think to, to your point, the second point is that not knowing about it, I think there's a number of people. I think there are a number of people in, in that boat, probably a third of all people. And then I think there's a third that just don't want to spend that much time on it, would rather just rattle this stuff off. They don't, they, they don't feel the necessity. They, they don't really, they're not as committed maybe to the activity and they just want to kind of get it done as fast as possible. And and quite frankly, a snake draft has that ability to do that. But there's so much intrigue. There's so much psychology. There's so much gamesmanship. It's really fun doing it in person, you know, seeing people's reactions. And, and by the way, look, we, we've, we've all been challenged so significantly in the last 15 months. I, I would argue this year, what better reason to get together with people that you haven't seen in a safe manner, you know, Wiz and I did a couple of outdoor ones last year, which, you know, due to COVID, but we were able to get that done as a, as a larger portion of the population has now been vaccinated and we're seeing uh, cases decline and, and hospitalizations and, and thankfully death decline. You know, people getting together is, is something that's happening. Look, we're piling into stadiums. We're, we're going to see the Foo Fighters in Madison Square Garden. So I, I think if anything, you know, you want a reason to get together with friends and family and all that sort of stuff. Uh, an auction draft will give you an opportunity to do a nice thing. You know, Wiz and I, I was in two of them where we did barbecues outside. It was, it was just so much fun. And, uh, you know, we're going to run that back again. We've been doing that the last couple of years in our main league. So, so I would split it up between those three reasons, Wiz. And, I, and, and, you know, I started fantasy 
uh, auction drafts from the very beginning. That my original league was an auction draft, so I was kind of hooked on it from the very get-go. Only in the last couple of years have I actually joined a few leagues, which are snake drafts. And, uh, you know, I, I think there's strategy around that. I actually was sitting with one of my coworkers yesterday, um, and he was doing a snake draft. It was his first snake draft of the year. They, they like doing an early draft to kind of challenge one another. And he was doing his draft yesterday uh, and asking me for advice while we were doing it. It was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, but you know, quite frankly, it was it was done in an hour and a half, and and does just does not have the same feel a, as an auction draft was. Yeah, as far as time, um, it, it all depends if the if the commissioner has a, a time limit on how you know quickly you must make picks. And at live drafts, um, you know, uh, if they're online, you know, it's easy to just put a time limit on there. I, I've been in online uh, snake drafts where the commission doesn't put a time limit on and it could be as lengthy and painstaking as anything. A lot more time consuming actually and annoying than an auction draft that live because an auction draft, someone's getting nominated. And if it's a, if it's a process of, of time, it's because the player is being bid on uh, as the draft is going on. I've been at snake drafts where guys are looking at their laptop for five, 10, 15 minutes to make a pick and that can make it um, uh, extremely long. And, and like I said, painstaking. And uh, so and the, the one thing I'll say is, you know, if you participate in auction drafts, uh, it's probably your preferred choice of draft because they, they're much more uh, interesting, strategic, enjoyable. And the bottom line difference between the two is you want to have the ability to get any player you want. And if you feel um, Derrick Henry is going to rush for 3,000 yards this year and he's going to rush for 300 yards every time he plays against the, the Jags and the Texans and get 1,200 yards rushing in just those four games, then you should have the right to get him uh, and pay for him and, 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 you know, and then have a couple of sleepers that you like no matter what price you pay for him. While at a snake draft, um, you're at the mercy of the draw. If you pick, you know, numbers, you know, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, you, you know uh, almost with certainty that you're not going to have a chance at Derrick Henry. So that's the bottom line thing for me is, uh, is, uh, is the ability to draft any player. And, and I think that's right. Um, you know, emotion does, human emotion does play a significant part in it. You know, we, we've seen this play out before where people have a real passion for, for bringing along a certain player and they're going to get that player no matter what. Now that certainly will impact the rest of their draft. And for those of us that, uh, for those of the, our listeners that, you know, ha- haven't done them before, we'll, we'll do a brief description about what, what's entailed in, in an auction draft and what, and what it means. But yeah, there's a, there's a definite, uh, there's the ability, uh, yeah, obviously there are some leagues that we're a keeper league, so there's a few players that are designated that you draft the year before where, where you decide to keep, so those players will be out of the mix. But in league, most leagues don't do keeper leagues, and, and, and I think, uh, to Wiz's point, the ability to have action and be in on all, every player in the league that, that, you, want, that you so desire um, is a really good thing. And by the way, you know, there, there also are a lot of strategies that can be employed, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, you know, I know Wiz and I probably are in the camp where even if we're not significantly interested in a player, 
we're involved in a bid for a player. I think, you know, you don't want to tip hands here. And I think there are, there are some guys that are really funny in leagues that we do where they're, you know, they have no interest in the player. They're looking down. They're not even involved. And I think, you know, I, I, quite frankly, with Wiz, when, when I've drafted with him, you know, I, I feel like when he's involved in a bid, I can't tell if he's interested or not in the player. Every, I mean, after a while I will, but in the beginning, I, you know, I, when he gets involved in a, in a bidding process, I can't really tell if he wants the player or he's just kind of involved in a bid. So we'll talk a little bit about that strategy, but, you know, uh, let's, let's, let's cut from the beginning here uh, for, for people that may be listening for the first time. You know, an auction draft whiz, you, you want to kind of start the description of, of kind of what you feel it's about? Yeah, an auction draft is, uh, you know, let's just go with what the prototypical um, auction draft looks like. It's you're given $200 salary, and in most cases, you are to draft 16 players. Some may stretch it to 18 players. Um, with an auction draft, I mean, you could, in theory, have an odd number of players that each team drafts. It's not like a snake draft where it has to be an even number because – um, the, the rounds going backwards, um, you know, you have to be able to have an even number of drafts. So it could be, in theory, odd numbers. But I guess 16 is the prototypical uh, number, $200. It's mostly 10 starters uh, and a six-man bench. And the 10 starters consist of one quarterback, two running backs, three receivers, a tight end, a flex spot that could be the running back, receiver, a tight end, a defense, and a kicker, and then a six-man bench that could be of any position you want. Um, so that's the thing. Do you you know do you find that most auction drafts are that two hundred to draft and sixteen? Yeah, that 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 to me that that's the kind of the conformity number without a doubt there are certain leagues I have there's a there's a different number put on it but uh yeah I think when you see these kind of auction draft like and again ESPN if you look at their mock drafts they'll start doing more auction drafts as we get closer to the season but yeah that Typically, uh, that's that's kind of the framework that you you work around, and uh, and I think you know again, if a league decides, it's all relative, right? If a league decides to go with a one hundred dollar salary cap, you know, you just chop in half those values on, on a lot of those players, and and you know, there's there's so many different strategies to employ, and I think you and I probably from year to year we kind of change kind of our view uh, depending on what we think is going to happen on that. There 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 are people that want to spend all their money right up front. There are people that sit in the weeds and and, and wait for players uh you know so they're all different ways to be involved I, I, and and obviously you, you, the, the one thing that is determined and you, you want to have some order especially if you're doing this in person um where you have that nomination of players uh when you move around the room or move around the table a lot of times we're kind of in some kind of circle circle or rectangle if we're doing it in person and you want to have a, a, a uniform way of kind of going around the room and where people are eligible to nominate their players um, for a certain number. So if someone starts off a draft and says Kenny Galladay for $1, and the next person, you know, everybody will be able to shout out, you have an auctioneer, and that's the way it works. But, yeah, you, you want to have some, some, some unified aspect of the way you kind of nominate the players. Yeah, so, you know, I guess the, the two ways that leagues uh, do these auctions in, in terms of when you nominate is there is an order so um you you nominate an order uh, and that you know that keeps going round and round and round and another way leagues do it is you know instead of following an order it's simply if you win a bid on a player you put up the player so i've seen leagues do that but what while we're on the subject of nominations um there's a lot to be made about 
nominating, you know, and and the, and what player you should nominate. And I, I've seen a bunch of different theories and thinking about nominations and, you know, never nominate a play you want. Don't waste time and always nominate a play you want. Be strategic with the players you nominate. Bring a list of the players that you want to nominate. And I, I don't think any of those are the right way to go about it, in my opinion. Uh, I think you have to be able to reverse and pivot at drafts. And you may want to start off, obviously, with your first player that you have in mind that you want to nominate for whatever reason. But as the draft goes, I mean, I'll get your opinion on this in a second and see how you feel about it. But I don't think you can be mechanical and have a list and feel one way or another. I think you need to reverse and pivot, mix it up with your nominations, be strategic um, at the time of when you nominate a player. And I, I just think um, it's it's really as the draft goes, uh, you know, what you should do with your nominations. What's your what's your overall uh, view about that? Yeah, a hundred percent agreed with that. So things changed, situations change. Uh, and flexibility is a big part of this. I think, I think there are times where I'll draft a player that I want, and there are times I will draft a player that I don't want. There are times where, especially as you get later in the draft, where if I see a situation where, let's say in this particular draft, I've actually spent a fair bit of money, and there's a couple of teams that have not spent money yet, and I do realize, because this is a big part of the record-keeping part of it, and if you're not keeping records, and we know people that don't keep records and don't pay attention to what's going on, which is really ridiculous because you are definitely going to be negatively affected by that if you're not aware of what other teams are doing. But if I'm in a situation where I know there's two teams that don't have their kind of bell cow running back yet, and let's say for... Uh, for lack of a of a play, let's say Saquon Barkley has not been thrown out yet. There are two teams that don't have a a a, a, a bell cow running back, and I, I don't have any interest in the player. Maybe I'm a little bit worried that he's coming back from an injury and all this sort of stuff. But I know these two teams are probably the ones vying for him at that point, in t- and they haven't spent any money at that point in time. I'll make a decision. I'll say, you know what, it's time for people to spend money on Saquon Barkley, and I'll nominate that player. And so that's kind of the change in circumstances and really knowing the landscape of what's going on in the room and what's going on in your draft. And record keeping is a big part of that. I've kind of intertwined that into, into the nomination discussion that we're having here. But I think, I think, yeah, I agree with you. You have to see what's going on around you before you can kind of come in and have some kind of uh, set tenet on what you're going to do in terms of nominating players. Yeah, and to, and to your point, wouldn't you agree that keeping track of everybody's roster, everybody's money um, during the draft is not only important, it's an absolute must at these drafts. Yeah, it's paramount. It's paramount. And if you're not, yeah, if you're not doing that, there, there, I, I would find that your draft is going to be negatively impacted by that. And, I, and I've seen it each, each and every year. We, we know, Wiz and I know individuals that have absolutely no interest in keeping records. And you know what? As a result, they have very little to show for it in terms of success because they don't draft well. And yeah, then they find themselves scrambling during the season with waiver wires and things like that. But why put yourself in such a negative view without having a knowledge of things? And I've seen it play out where... I know that an individual, uh, I'm going to be competing for a certain player against him, and because he has no idea of what my money situation is, but I know exactly how much money that... I I did it a couple of years ago with Tyreek Hill. 
I knew exact. I knew I was getting the player. No one else in the room had the ability to get him but me. Uh, that was the number. I had the number, and and the guy couldn't believe it at the end when I kept bidding up. He's he didn't understand it, but I realized that he was not going to be able to pay the ultimate price that I paid for the player. And, uh, and at the end of the day, Tyreek Hill was mine. Yeah, yeah, I think. Um... I think you, you know, if you, if you're not prepared and keeping track, you know, it's impossible to to do well at these things. I mean, uh, because you have to be able to see what needs another team has, what money they have left, uh, where they're going to spend their money. You could see what's about to happen. Uh, you know, I, I think we've done these things long enough. When um, you have a couple of teams that kind of have more money than the other teams and then there's like maybe just the player out there and you can kind of re- understand and have a, a recognition of when there's a potential showdown that's brewing uh, with teams that have money and there's a player or two that's left on the board that maybe those teams are waiting for. Would you agree with that? I most certainly agree with that. And, and, and I think it happens in almost every single draft. You know, there, there are different theories out there, right? There are people that are willing to spend money early. I think in a lot of drafts we see maybe, I'd say the situation plays out both ways. Sometimes you see people very aggressive spending a lot of money early. And then there's a lot of, there are a lot of situations in drafts where maybe some players, because they're nominated early and people are a little bit more gun-shy in the beginning, that people will actually get some bargains at the beginning of drafts. I've seen it play out both ways um so but 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 it's inevitable that there's a showdown because you've got three or four uh, participants that are looking for that same player and, or need that premier whether it's a quarterback or a running back or what have you and 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 you know all chaos can break loose on, on certain bids and as i mentioned you know there there are people in in our leagues and we know this we're walking into there, there are people that really love certain players and because it's an auction draft and you have the ability to get that player, uh, they are willing to spend whatever it takes to get that player. And I know you've been in some heated, heated bids with players that you know someone wants to walk out of that draft with that player no matter what it costs them. Yeah, so let, let, let's talk about that. Um, it, you do this more aggressively than I do. Um, when you're in an auction draft and there's a player that you may not necessarily want or need, but you feel even that being said, the player's price is too low. You will stick your nose in there and you'll bid up and you'll make guys go for prices, you know, that you think is, is fairer to the market value than, than what they would have been had you not get in the bid. So talk about bidding up players uh, when you have a sense that the price is, is going too low and what that does and how that helps you further, further along in the draft. So it's a tricky one, right? Because I think every once in a while when you're, when you're actually doing that, you could get stuck with a player that you really didn't want to want that player, but at a higher price, right? So it happens once in a while, you know, but you get, a, I think you get a read and a feeling as you, as you do these auction drafts longer, you, you get a real feel for kind of how the people in your league operate. And, you know, Wiz and I have been drafting with the same individuals. I've, I've been drafting with some of these guys for, for 15, 20 years. And, you, you know, you get a good feel stylistically how they kind of approach things. People tend to kind of, 
return to their roots, if you will. Uh, and when it comes to their drafting strategies, they don't depart from them. But that being said, you know, there are times where I think there has to be some policing that goes on where where people don't walk out of drafts with with, with bargains uh, at, at ridiculously low prices. And, you know, I think I come and teach in every draft, and this is part of the preparation aspect, which where I think dollar value is for every single player in the draft. Uh, and and really, I have that in my head, you know, based on, you know, kind of uh, past experience, based on some of the what, what I see going on in some of the mock drafts, uh, based on I do think you whether you look at an ESPN or a CBS and you see what people think that, that auction values are. I think it gives you a little bit of a framework, but it's not it's it, it's not etched in stone in any way, shape or form. And, and to your point, it does give you an advantage later on in the draft when you know someone wants a player and you're able to kind of make people spend that, that extra two, three bucks. Um, that, that, that they'll spend now, and then you have the ability at the end of a draft where we see this every single time. There are always tremendous bargains at the end of the draft, and you have to have some flexibility at the end of the draft. So, so policing things and making people, I don't want to say making people pay up, but I think making people earn that player that they really want um, does give you uh, some flexibility at the end where th- those dollars, those extra dollars that they spend on those players are really money in other people's pockets. Yeah, and if you're in a new league, you know, obviously this isn't going to apply to you, but, you know, like our league, you know, we've been we've been doing this league for over 30 years. Um, and, you know, you have been in it um, getting close to, you know, seven, eight years in it. Uh, and then but, but most of us in this league have been in this league for 25 years, the same core group of like eight or nine teams, which is a lot. So uh, let's piggyback on what you were saying about knowing your opponents. You know, after you do drafts for two, three, four, five years, and you're already involved in this because you're, you know, talking about your seventh, eighth year in this league with us, um, and you're in other leagues that you've been in a lot longer. So how important is, you know, paying attention, similar to a poker game, uh, of your opponent's tendencies, what they've done, uh, how they handle nominations, the way they bid aggressively. Um, how, how important is paying attention to your surrounding surroundings and, and, and trying to gauge and know your opponents? Yeah, I think it's very important. So I think there are certain guys and gals that, you know, maybe they, when they're involved in a bidding player and they want a player, their actually body reactions are a little different, the way they hand motion or what have you, that, that, that sort of thing. Some people do it like just the way their movements. Some people, it's in their eyes. Some people sit up, you know, they, they become more, more erect in their chair. Um, or maybe they have a little bit more nervousness going on when they're interested in the player like these are things that you kind of have to have a a look for Um, and I think you know part of it also is understanding strategies that different players employ because I think there are there are those players that are wanting to secure elite talent uh, at high prices and they'll worry about the filling out their roster at the end with a, a lot of low price a low low price players there's that strategy there are there are there are other players that want to have a more balanced constructed roster where they're not really willing to pay up for anybody they're kind of looking for value across the board so those sort of things are, are also important to know kind of like how people operate in their drafts and I think for the most part I think you and I would agree 
there is not a lot of deviation from those kind of, over the years, at least the players that I've been watching, there's not a lot of deviation from that. We, we know there are certain players uh, that certain players really covet, certain, certain participants really covet. So I think all of these different things between the, the, the physical tics, their facial movements, uh, their bidding styles, uh, their, their long-term affinity of players, like all of these factors play, play into it. And also, like I said, draft styles that people employ. And, you know, you have to be able to adapt to all type of situations. You know, I talk about, I use adapt and pivot. I use those words often because I, I can't emphasize enough how, how important that is. And uh, you have to be able to um, have a backup plan, so to speak, and have a group of players. Because if you get fixated at... Um, on uh, a few players at each position and something goes wrong. Look, I've seen and you've seen in these drafts all kinds of strategies where um, you have people that, you know, will wait and wait and wait and hold on to their money till the end and then end up paying too much for, for, for marginal type players and that strategy doesn't work. And then you got the other guys that will pick and choose their spots. And then once in a while, and this is the case in our league, you'll run up into a guy who will say, ah, in a $200 league, let's just use this as an example, where you're drafting 16 players, he'll say, okay, uh, I'm going to spend uh, $190 on you know, six players, and I don't care if I pick uh, – 10 $1 players to fill out my roster. And, and we have one of those guys in our league. So when you go up against one of these guys in, in that situation who will bid and they are not concerned about like saving money and they want the players they want, how do you avoid frustration of either um, not getting the player you really coveted and even willing to spend a few more dollars than you originally planned, but still not getting the player because the, the, the guy you're going up against will not back down from a bid or, you know, end up paying, paying more for a player than you originally planned. I mean, avoiding the frustration, which ends up messing up the rest of your draft is a key to that. So talk a little bit about that, about, having backup plans if your original plan and maybe player or players uh, doesn't go your way. Yeah, and and, it, and inevitably it's it's not going to – there's going to be a circumstance where I'm going to get caught sometimes with a player. I've, I've seen – I would say last year it happened to uh, my partner and I in, in another league where I told him before the draft, I do not want – he's got a Julio Jones fascination. Connor has a Julio Jones. I said I don't want to see him on our team. And he, he, he was doing the bidding in this particular draft. And uh, lo and behold, he got himself caught in a, you know, for whatever reason, there's this kind of emotion around Julio Jones in this particular league where he always goes for, I don't know, somewhere in the, in, in the kind of the 55 to $60 range. And Con, you know, my boy Connor got himself involved in the bid and we ended up with the player. I had no interest in him. And, and by the way, at the time that we got the player, we also already had secured some elite talent. And it really put us uh, in, in a negative way for the rest of the draft. Uh, but, you know, again, we at that point in time, players that we were looking at 
because we didn't think we were going to have this player. Uh, we basically had to wipe those players off of, off of their draft because we weren't going to get them at those prices. And we had to dig a little deeper in terms of you know the players that we were coveting at, lo- at lower levels, and we made that to be more of a, a prerogative to get those players. So you do have to shift. And sometimes, yeah, you, 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 you know, and, and, and we've, we've even seen this, uh, Wiz, in our drafts where – a pl- the player who 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 the the player that we're vying against for a particular player, they'll actually talk to us during the draft and say, "I'm not leaving here without this player." They'll say they'll say this during the bidding process, and you know what? They're not lying. They're gonna they're gonna and and you just make sure that you you keep going up to a point that you're you you feel like okay, that's enough. I've had enough. He wants the player. Let 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 that player have him. That's the end of that. I'm out of this thing. So, but we've seen that kind of situation evolve, but. But I do think, yes, you're going to be caught sometimes, but, but sometimes you really have to make sure. You have to understand the opponent that you are drafting against. And if that po- opponent is willing to go as far as they can to get that player, you make them go as far as they can. Yeah, there's always that line that you have to cross of you know, trying to make a guy pay a fair price or actually running up a player that you know the, the guy desperately wants and needs. And then having to think in the back of your mind, there is a chance while you're playing this game that you can end up um, with a player that you didn't necessarily want because all of a sudden, you know, he just says out when you thought he was going to keep going. I think that's happened to the best of us. And that's part of it. But I think, you know, the the bottom line is you have to do things in these drafts that you think will better you towards the end of the draft. Uh, and, and that may be putting yourself in arm's way, uh, putting yourself in arm's way on, on bids and players uh, that you don't necessarily need at the time. Um, and, you know, that's another thing that I wanted to talk about need. Um, you know, we talked about running up a player or bidding up a player. What do you do in a situation where you feel you're set at, uh, let's say running back, um, and uh, or well, let's put a quarterback because this is where it's most likely to happen, and we'll use it because it happened uh, with the Aaron Rodgers thing with you last year. What do you do if you feel you have a number one quarterback, and then there's a quarterback that's being nominated, and his price is absolutely ridiculous, and he's going to go to somebody for a ridiculous price? Um, talk about that as opposed to just letting the player go. Um, even if you're set at a position, uh, how do you balance needs versus uh, a price uh, of a player, um, you know, in, in, in that type of situation? Yeah, I think it's really dependent on kind of how the draft is evolving for, for you. Uh, you know, I think there are some circumstances where, you know, because that player is significantly undervalued and you have room to add that player, even though you're set at the particular position, it's not going to impact kind of the rest of your draft. You still have enough money left to to draft what you want. I think there are other times where, unfortunately, you, you even though, and you'll shake your head and the comments be made, I can't believe this guy's going to go for this much money just because you, you're, you're in a little bit of a pickle where every single dollar that you need at the end of a draft you you actually are, is accounted for and you can't stretch to get that player. So I think I've been in situations where both have happened and I think it's dependent upon 
what's going on with the rest of your draft. So sometimes, sometimes if I don't need him, but the player is undervalued, but I have the plenty of room left because I've been conservative in my draft, I have no problem adding that. Uh, other times, I'm I'm up against the uh, up against the uh, you know kind of up against the eight ball a little bit where I don't have much room to maneuver in the cabin, and I've got to let that player go. So it's de- it's dependent upon my needs. For sure, and sometimes you know, yes, I have to let that player go, even at a very cheap price. And I think we've seen this before too. Is almost in every single draft, we know at the end of a draft there there are going to be a few guys because they've been a bit more judicious about the way they've drafted. They've gotten some bargains along the way, what have you. But they're going to get some bargains as a result of that. And then we know there are other guys that are unfortunately going to be super aggressive at the start of their drafts. And they have very little leeway at the end of a draft. And, you know, they really left for like $1 nominations for like their last seven or eight players. It's played out both ways. Uh, we, we've seen it all the time. So so I think it really is dependent upon the situation. But like I said, you know, last year it was, it was a good thing for me that Aaron Rodgers and I, I had flexibility. Actually, on that roster, it was interesting. I actually walked out with three quarterbacks, which I never do. Um, but it just, I, and Aaron Rodgers was the last quarterback that I added uh, just because I was just, I had room. I kind of had a balanced draft. I probably got a few guys in that draft at, at a price that I didn't expect to get them at. So I had that flexibility in my cap space to, to add the player, even though I didn't, even though at the time he was my third quarterback and eventually became my first quarterback. So at what point do you start um, putting dollar amounts, you know, attached to each player? Like how, how close to your drafts do you start doing that? I, I, I would say I've already begun that process right now, uh, just kind of looking at some of uh, some of the anticipation that's out there on some of the websites. Uh, there are, isn't a lot of stuff that's publicized around around auctions. I think one of the ones, Fantasy Pros is one of the, one of the, they're one of the earlier ones. I haven't actually haven't looked yet, but I have a mindset right now in my own head just based on my past experiences because I've done this so frequently uh, of where I think player values are going into a draft. I haven't actually sat down and put pen to paper just yet, but you know, in my head right now, if you were to ask me a particular player, like if you were to ask me where Saquon Barkley goes in in a two hundred player in two hundred dollar draft, sixteen players, I'd kind of have a range of, of of dollar values on that player. It's already in my head. I haven't, like I said, I haven't put pen to paper yet. But I've, you know, I, I think past experiences kind of helped me. If you've never done a draft before an auction format, you're going to need some kind of barometer or measurement. So looking around at maybe some of the ESPN forecasts, like I said, fantasy pros, uh, CBS, I think eventually will do it. But I think it's something that you want to do well before. It's not something you want to start looking at a, a, a week before. I think you want to partake in a few mock auction drafts as well, if you can find them, because I think it's a helpful kind of measurement of what you're perhaps going to see in your own draft. And, and, and look, I, you know, Wiz, I've advertised in this particular, you know, talk about draft strategies and stuff. I've advertised my theories on running backs here. Um, I, I'm not really a huge uh, believer in spending up for running backs. I, not that I doubt the talents of guys like Christian McCaffrey, uh, Dalvin Cook, you know, those guys are great players, right? But, you know, we saw what happened last year. A lot of them broke down. That doesn't mean, by the way, that there won't be a draft where I surprise everyone despite what I've said and I walk out with a couple of the premier running backs because the price of those players is actually different than I believe them to be. So, yeah, I have got a framework in my mind. I, I, I kind of started working on that already. Um, I think there's probably some of it that's just kind of, uh, uh, I would say, becomes a... Uh, 
a little bit uh, innate and in, 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 in kind of uh, Pavlovian in terms of my thinking on it. Uh, but yeah, I, like it's a process that I start very, very early and, and having done these before, it's certainly very, very helpful. Now, again, I, I think we've seen this too, is where, you know, sometimes you walk into a draft, you, you have an idea of what you think is going to happen uh, in terms of player value. Let's say you think those kind of top running backs are, are going to be, you know, whatever in that $55, $60 range, or maybe, you know, 60 to $65 range. And you get surprised by the fact that they're only going for, I don't know, 50 to 55. Uh, you, I'm sure you've seen certain times where you've been surprised on how an auction plays out in terms of value and players. Yeah. So th- those sites that you mentioned, they base it on $200 to draft 16 players. I think for the most part, I think in fantasy, pro, I think in fantasy pros, they actually have two tabs. They have a $200 tab and they have a $100 tab. So um, they give you the ability, but yes, it's based on, it's generally based on 16, 16 team, uh, 16 player drafts. Yes. So, yeah. So, so handcuffs. So the thing is about handcuffs in an auction draft is, Unlike you know what round you take a player at the end in an auction draft, it, it gets a little tricky because if you have a backup of ability, and let's just use two for example, let's use Pollard with Elliott, and let's use Alexander Madison with Dalvin Cook, right? You, you know if you pay, you know in a in in that format, whatever, two hundred dollars to draft sixteen players. Um, you're kind of married, I feel, to the backups in those two situations. So it's not just the Elliott and Cook price that you have to take into consideration. Wouldn't you agree that in those two situations, you have to not only take in the you know the the, the top guy's price, but the backup guy's price because they're not one or two dollar players. Those two guys are good players on their own, and if they were to get in there they're going to be themselves a top 15 running back in the league. So uh, in an auction draft, don't you feel that in certain situations you have to take into consideration the backup, the handcuff price of the player as well? Oh, 100%. Like, you know, so I, I would say this right now. Let's say I'm interested in a player like uh, Alvin Kamara. Let's use Alvin, Alvin Kamara as an example. Uh, one of the better backups in the league in, in Latavius Murray. Um, Wiz has talked about other players as well, but Latavius Murray, I think both of us would agree, actually has some value uh, week in and week out, in, in fan, even if he's not... I mean, him and Kareem Hunt are like in that category of they may not be the so-called starter, but on a week-to-week basis... Unlike an Alexander Madison, who probably, you know, on a, on a, on a, on certain situations, you could, you know, he may get, you know, seven, eight carries. I think those two players, uh, Murray and Kareem Hunt, have value on their own, certainly. Correct. So, so what I what I wanted to say is when so for players like that, you have to value that player much higher. Um, it depends on the league, though. We, we, I think you and I have seen in some leagues, and I've even told you this in some leagues, where the backups do go dirt cheap, where people don't make you... So if you owned Dalvin Cook, I've seen leagues where the player that the guy that owns Dalvin Cook is able to walk out with Alexander Madison for a dollar. Now, in, in most leagues, that's not the case, but I have seen it happen. 
And, and that really commits you to that player in the position. You know, you and I would agree if anything were to happen to Dalvin Cook, most certainly the value uh, in, in which Alexander Madison, I'm not saying he's going to replace Dal- uh, Dalvin Cook, but he's certainly going to probably be two-thirds of his fantasy production uh, as a standalone running back in that offense, I, I, I would say at a minimum. Um, so, yeah, you're going to have to factor that into your price. Now, I actually just brought up Fantasy Pro's um, calendar, uh, sorry, uh, uh, calculator up just now. And so in a $200 budget league, they currently have a player like Dalvin Cook listed at $67. And, and so, again, on the high side, but he was one of the top running backs last year. Uh, not surprised to see the player valued at that. I actually went down to see where Alexander Madison is, and he's not a $1 player. He's actually a $4 player on this particular calculator. So so you, you got to know if you're committing to Dalvin Cook in a league, um, you know, there is, and you're also one of these people that wants to have a handcuff. And I think in most leagues that we partake in, you're, you're not walking out of that, uh, out of that, out of that draft with that player for dirt cheap. So you have to factor that into your kind of quote unquote budget in terms of what it's going to cost you to add that player. Yeah. Excellent. Agree. Agree with that. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, we, we covered a ton of ground here and I think what people should take away from all of this is preparation um, keep track of it uh, at the draft be aware of what's going on not just with your team but with other teams Um, you know try and keep an eye on on your opponents at the draft tendencies learn from that and uh, and and you know not just limiting yourself to a couple of players at each position where either, you know, you get run up and you pay more than you originally thought and then you get frustrated or somebody just is willing to pay a, um, a bigger price than you and then you get frustrated. So don't limit yourself to the players that you like in each position. You know, have a broad plan and if this doesn't go your way, what you'll do and if that doesn't go your way, what you'll do. And then, you know, just being able to have that preparation for all possible situations that it could occur um, is the best way to get yourself ready for a draft. Yeah, yeah, all well said, all great points. I think going in also with a couple of different game plans is probably not a bad idea. Uh, I, I would say doing some practice mock drafts. Um, as we get closer, it's tough to find auction drafts right now. They're a little bit less actively partaken in uh, at this point. But I would say certainly in early August, you're going to be able to go onto any of these sites, whether it's CBS or ESPN, where there's a lot more interest, where people are paying a lot more attention, and you're able to find a lot more participants that are in these auction drafts. But do some practice drafts. Get, a, get an idea of, of where players are going for. I think one of the things that I observed last year in doing those auction drafts, and it actually was very helpful for me in, in my regular drafts, I felt all of the rookies were being very very undervalued in, in all of those drafts and, and ended up being a big help to me when I got into my regular season drafts where in, in a number of those drafts, those players were, were not valued as highly. And that was the way it was being played out in some of the mock drafts. Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen this year. Perhaps it'll be the exact opposite of that this year. I, I don't know. But, you know, doing some of these practice drafts are, are, are quite important. And then, like Wiz said, we did cover a lot of ground here. There is a lot of material. Uh, there is a lot to think about. Human psychology, gamemanship, all a very big part of it. It's a lot of fun. Again, I can't stress enough for people that have not done this form, and especially given that we've not been able to socialize and get together as much, 
all the more reason, I think, this year to get together with friends and family and do these things in person, spend three hours, four hours, whatever it takes to do these sort of things. I know that's a lot of time to commit, especially if you have the ability to get together. I can't stress enough. And by the way, if you don't have the ability, let's say only 10 people can get together and two people can't. Wiz, we've done this where we're on the phone. We, you know, technology, Zoom call, whatever, uh, uh, FaceTime. You have the ability to have that person kind of feel like they're in the room. You keep that call alive. So you do. Technology definitely gives affords us the ability to kind of engage people, even if they're sitting on a beach in Florida. Yeah, you have a lot of laughs at these things. I mean, you know, it, it, you know what I'll say is, you know, the drafts that you enjoy and have fun, that's probably going to lead itself to you doing well in these type of things. Uh, so, you know, you got to remember that you should be enjoying it. And, you know, and fantasy football should be fun. And, and you know, you want to do well. And I think if you, you know, you're listening to these podcasts and paying attention and, and trying to take these things um, and then and then go with them and expand on what we're saying and then branch out and do, you know, your own thing and just using maybe some of the things we're saying as a guideline, I, I think you're going to do well and, and have fun and have fun of these things. Like, I always look at these drafts and I see people who are, you know, want to get out of there and want to leave or in a rush. And uh, I would say in, in those circumstances, most of those times, uh, those teams uh, end up with uh, with 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 a bad roster and a bad result. Yeah, and and one thing I just uh, we didn't talk about in the beginning, but you know, it's fun if you can get someone. Uh, and, and Wiz and I have 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 done it both ways. We've been auctioneers in leagues where we're not participants, where we're not having to worry about drafting a team, and we've had to do it in leagues where we are participants. And 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 so we've done it both ways. It is good if you can get an independent person to actually be your auctioneer, where you don't have to, you know, where, where you can fully kind of get involved in your draft. Sometimes that's hard to find an individual that's able to do that um but yeah an auctioneer plays a very uh key role in and how a draft and and moves along smooths it out uh make sure it's consistent in terms of the cadence when you're counting down a player uh you know all of these things but, but uh, if you can find an independent one who's not in the league that's fantastic because uh, it works out well where you can kind of focus on your draft but like i said wiz and i have done it the other way where you know almost every year in our big league you know one of us is conducting the draft and drafting at the same time uh you know it, it's not easy to do but obviously uh you know you still have to the show must go on as as they say Absolutely, and you and you and you said at the very very beginning that you had a coworker. Was that Steph who had a draft yesterday? Uh, no, this was a, a kid, Brett, um, who was doing. He, he was doing a, a, an. Uh, this was a online snake draft, but yeah, he was. His name is Brett, and he was doing it yesterday. It was his first draft. They they like to take a first early stab at it and see how they oh, do. Okay. And uh, it, it's just kind of a ch- like like it's a challenging thing for the, for this particular league. They they like to challenge themselves. But you and I both know we we've seen some big big injuries in the preseason. I, I think I remember a few years back when I think Jeremy Macklin was kind of a. I would think at the time he was probably considered a top 15 receiver with the Eagles. And we were forced to do an e- early draft in early August because we could not get people together because of vacation times. It was one of my work leagues. So we did it in early August. And the guy who, you know, obviously the guy who drafted Jeremy Macklin was all upset about it. And he says, what, what's going to happen? I said, look, this is the, the, 
as they say in The Godfather, it's the business that we choose, and uh, sometimes you got to make tough decisions in order to get people together. I know as we have to kind of figure out a lot of times around who's dropping off their kids at college and things like that, and the holiday weekends, because football, you, most of these drafts, by the way, do occur because people want to wait for all of the information in terms of roster cuts and injuries and all this stuff. Most drafts do occur over I guess uh, Labor Day weekend and kind of the first couple of days before that preseason, before that uh, season opener uh, on Thursday night. That's a, that that week, kind of the Friday before Labor Day uh, to the Wednesday or even Thursday of the of, of the NFL season. Uh, that that is a thick week. I mean, I, I know my calendar is filling up. We gotta you, you have to get that out to your leagues and have that discussion about when you're going to do it. No, absolutely, and uh, yeah, it's difficult. You know, we have a guy in our league who has you know small children, and you know it's difficult, and he hasn't been able to make it the uh, last few years. So you know, it's it's always difficult balancing that act with you know your family and young children, and being able to actually be at the draft, which I know he really does want to be there, but. Uh, when you're in certain leagues that have, you know, you know, like we're in a keeper league, so it, it's difficult for us to move that draft up, you know, much more, uh, you know, earlier before the season starts because you know you announce your keepers, and then if one of those keepers gets hurt before you sit down for a draft, um, you know, you're really in a bad spot. So it, it's it's a difficult balancing act to, for most leagues, but. Uh, yeah, I think you want to ideally start it as close to the season um, because, uh, you know, you don't want to have a draft and then somebody that you paid a lot of money for gets hurt before week one, and that's uh, that that's difficult. I, I, I do want to mention, you, you just reminded me of one thing, Wiz. And when you're looking at kind of, if you're new to this or you've only been doing it a year or two or whatever, and you're looking at something like the Fantasy Pros Calculator, which, again, I do recommend this because it's really uh, – you know, for everybody to, to use as a baseline, I, I think it's a good one to do because uh, you have that flexibility in terms of budget. It's, uh, you can choose 100, 200, 300, whatever. But I think one thing to keep in mind if you are doing keeper leagues and you're looking at the rookie values uh, in particular, I think most, most of these lists are determined uh, in non-keeper leagues. So I would say when I look at this list right now and in our Bronx League, I, I'm, I'm not giving something away here, a running back like Najee Harris is listed here for $12. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen um, in, in a league where uh, you're talking about keeper and what that player's history is going to look like moving forward. This is for a one-year season. I can kind of understand that for a one-year draft, but in a, in a keeper league, those values are going to be a little bit different. So just please keep that in mind if you're looking at these kind of measurements that some of the people are putting out there in terms of their expectations of the drafts. Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's right, and you know that's the other thing, right? Know your league, know the scoring system, know the formats, and you know then and then take that into consideration before you start your preparation, because uh, you know you have to you have to really take a look at the scoring system and uh, and the rules of your league is is very important. You know we we try and always hammer that point home but uh you know some leagues are different uh they vary in what they you know what the scoring system is in terms of points per reception or defensive scoring or points for field goals or uh yardage thrown and and, and that kind of thing and, and for touchdowns so just look at the scoring system get to know and understand your scoring system and uh that also takes uh you know 
uh, an important factor in your preparations before you draft. Yeah, so uh, you know that's I, I I don't really have much more to add. I mean, I, I like I said, um, I love it. I think it's the most interesting aspect of drafting. I look forward to it every year. I've used the analogy before. I'll use it again. It feels for me, it feels like Christmas morning uh, when you're running down to open up those presents. It's really cool to see how things play out. It is great to see people, and last year was a year where we couldn't see people in the same way. We did manage to have some in-person drafts, and it, it worked out really well, but we know how tough COVID was on a lot of people and, and their ability to get together. So I'm really encouraging, if you're going to think about an auction draft, get together this year and do it. See people, um, especially if they've been vaccinated. Uh, you know, I think we're in a, in a much safer environment. It feels a lot better. And, and, and enjoy the experience of it. It's, it's a hell of a lot of fun. You can get together in a backyard. You can get together in a restaurant. Um, it's a lot better and, and more personal than, than doing it on a computer. But again, I do encourage if you can't bring people together because you have one person in California, another in Texas, another in Ohio, another in New York, then you do an, you can do an online auctions. These websites handle it very, very well. Uh, every once in a while, there are a couple of snafus that you need to handle, but you know that comes with the territory with technology. But, but, the, but I think you and I both have experienced, uh, as far as these drafts go on electronic, uh, in, in an electronic way, it, they actually work out pretty well too, Wiz. Yeah, you know, yeah, exa- exactly. They, you know, usually that goes pretty smoothly. Uh, but, you know, I, I agree with you. If you're, you know, if if it works out uh, uh, from a standpoint of, uh, you know, logistics and you could actually uh, sit down and and have a fun auction draft outside, wherever that may be, in a restaurant, uh, uh, you know, in person is just, you know, a lot of fun and enjoyable and you have a lot of laughs and, uh, and, uh, you know, it's it's very important. I think to be able to enjoy and have fun in your fantasy football league, yeah, it'll get competitive, and I'm sure there'll be disputes and arguments and something during the year. It all it always happens, but the draft should be hours of fun and enjoyment, and uh, and uh, I I think uh, it's it's an underrated aspect of it that uh, how much fun it should be, and uh, and and that's what we try and do when we have to get together. We we always try and have uh, a lot of laughs, and we usually do. Oh yeah. <laughs> There are lots of laughs, lots of laughs, lots of lots of good food, and you know, uh, it's a great time of the year. Hopefully, the weather works out and 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 that sort of thing. But like I said, you know, we have the ability this year, I think, in, in most places to to be able to do things indoors, especially if people are protected. And I think uh, people could be a little safer uh, about that. So yeah, awesome was uh, great discussion as always. Guru and Wiz Fantasy Football Podcast, uh, Spotify, Apple Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Make sure again that you're subscribing to it and listening to it lots of fun Wiz I think we're going to start doing some of the team capsules as we want to get these things knocked out before actually training camp starts so we can be in very very ready mode with our rankings and our thinking going into the regular season no, absolutely we want to we're going to get into the you know specifics of teams and players and then uh, you know, ideally, as it gets, uh, you know, August 1st, we're going to get into position rankings and talking about uh, specific players and, and the way the movement is going as far as players are going up and down. So uh, we're going to take you all the way until the start of the season and get you prepared to uh, have a fun and successful year of fantasy football. Awesome, Wiz. We'll have a great weekend, and we'll uh, speak next week. You got it. <laughs>